Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of Sales Ops Demystified. And today we're joined by Don Turner, who's currently the director of sales operations at Lark Technologies. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be with you guys today. And Don is actually not the only reason why this episode is extra special today. We're also joined by Alex Freeman of Ebster. And the reason we're... Oh, Alex, welcome first. Thank you. So Alex's debut on Sales Ops Demystified is... He's here because... We want to uh, try and get some more specific learnings from our amazing guests. Uh, Alex um, is very well versed um, in the world of sales technology, sales operations. And so we'll have my kind of fluffy questions, but then we'll also have Alex's specific questions. So let's just jump straight in, right, Don? And I, my first question for you is because a, a while back, a, few, a couple of years ago, you um you you served the nation in the United States Navy. And so my first question to you is, uh, if at all, did that experience uh, or is that experience helping you in the world of sales or sales operations? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's an interesting question. I've never really thought about it a whole lot, uh, Tom, but um, it, it was more than a few years ago. I was very young and I, ha- I had worked odd jobs as a teenager I went into service at the age of 17, uh, graduated a little bit early from high school and uh, didn't really have any intention other than to, to kind of get myself started somewhere. College wasn't the right fit for me then. Uh, I was glad to go later and finish college. But in the military, uh, I, I served on a surface ship. I lived on it for a little over three and a half years. And I was immediately thrust into a world filled with grown men, uh, a lot older than me. Uh, very seasoned, very uh, capable people, uh, and just I was a, basically a, 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 a blank canvas. I needed to learn how to work amongst grownups, if you if you will, for lack of a better word. So, with an eye toward process and procedures, obviously in the military, that's that's how they thrive and, and how they are successful. 
um, it really appealed to my structured thinking, my, my nature, my personality. So it really laid the foundation, not just for sales ops, but for really the basis for my whole career. It's a, that's an incredible answer. Yeah, I can only imagine the amount of development um, a young a young Don must have had to go through um, joining the Navy at that age. Um, there's there's the there's the public version, the 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 sanitized version. But imagine living on a ship with a bunch of grown men who've been living on a ship. There's the non-public, non-sanitized version. So you might call it tough love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, let's uh, let's keep to the public version on this show. I guess <laughs> you, you can tell us the non-public one after we after we start recording. <laughs> Um, awesome. Makes sense. And then uh, another uh, example from your previous history, your previous work history, um, I believe you actually started a, and ran a business uh, related around employee engagement. Is, is that correct? I did. I, I was working in the corporate world in a, 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 a digital startup uh, I was involved with called Health Media had been growing and we were part of an incredible story. Well, we were purchased by a fantastic company. You've probably heard of it, Johnson & Johnson. Uh, and this was in 2008. If I'm ever working for a startup company that gets purchased by a much larger company, I'll stay. I just won't stay as long because there are people who can be successful in large multinational corporate uh, entities. And there are people who are more suited for... Um, you know, the startup, the entrepreneurial kind of let's build this together kind of culture. And that's really me. Uh, I'm, I'm a smaller company guy. I want my hands pulling on the rope with, with a, a smaller number of people. You really feel your impact. So a few years into being owned by Johnson & Johnson, it was really becoming clear to me that there was a lot of opportunity in corporate America to make people feel more connected, like, like as if you worked at a startup where the CEO is just down the hall and you're all aware of all everything that's going on. In a large company, you really just don't see it as... You're not as, as connected that way. So I started a company called Long Walk Partners to really just be a human performance company. I did that for four years. And it was really about keeping the rank and file, the people down below in the org chart, Help them understand what they do is important and not just in a fluff way, but in a way that says, look, this you're part of a machine and, and, and you filter up and there's people counting on you. And they don't always have to acknowledge that, but you need to kind of have that internal locus of control, that sense of purpose. Your goals as a professional and the company's goals don't have to be at cross purposes. They can be congruent. So let's talk about that. So I had just a, a, a wonderful four years of working with individuals and learning a lot about small businesses. Now, I couldn't really get Longwalk Partners to break into some of the larger organizations where I really think the, the, the need is greatest. Uh, but uh, I did have a lot of success and uh, it, it really helped. It's funny, you know, you leave the corporate world for a few years and then come back to the corporate world after an experience like that. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's not something I would have been able to predict, but it was incredibly valuable for my career since coming back. I can totally understand that. If you spend four years really thinking about how to get people engaged, if you come back into an organization and then you have to get your team engaged, then yeah. you're obviously going to be, uh, that's just one of the benefits, I guess. Um, yeah. But now, now let's, let's, Let's get more focused on, on sales ops. Um, 
your your role today at Lark Technologies. Could you just share with the audience uh, the rough number of reps that uh, you are responsible for and uh, the rough size of the operations team? Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, the The sales operations team today is one. Uh, I start with Lark Technologies on Monday. I uh, just made the transition from uh, my former employer uh, to Lark Technologies. It was time for a change, uh, nothing dramatic, uh, just more of a uh, where I tend to specialize in sales operations is that creation. So we've got uh, uh, right now, I think there's five sales reps and uh, sales operations is myself, but the intention is to build out the sales reps team as well as a sales operations function uh, within Lark. Uh, went through a very thorough, very satisfying uh, interview experience. And they're based in Mountain View, California, and they're a, a cutting edge technology organization. And so they're bringing healthcare uh, through AI and natural language programming via f- texts on phones to millions of people. So it's, it's think of healthcare delivered in a personal way, but done at scale. And uh, I, once I learned a little bit about the organization, I said, if I can bring my sales operations toolbox to them, that's a great place to, to continue my mission to work with great companies that are doing great things. Makes total sense. Sounds like a super interesting application. So you're going to be going in and do you know if you, so yes, you'll be the only sales ops person when you get there. Are you the first sales ops person that they are hiring? Correct. They wanted to bring in uh, an individual who has the experience and the, the knowledge of the toolbox to say, all right, you got to hit the ground running because they're growing fast. That's one of the one of the great opportunities with Lark. Uh, they they don't have time to let someone grow into the role. They need somebody to come in who's built this thing a few different times in a few different ways. So uh, I, I really was just so glad I was able to penetrate that and just tell them, look, this is this is I'm I'm built for this, and uh, I, I hope you let me do this. And and luckily they they did, and we're very excited. Do you have, uh, like, so it, it seems like you've come in and started sales operations departments previously. What would you say is like one of the most important things to consider as you create the sales ops department? Yeah, that's a big one because, um, as you guys know, uh, there's a lot of technology and there's a lot you can measure. And in sales operations, particularly in the beginning, it's it's I end up saying the words crawl, walk, run a lot. You 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 have to understand what you're measuring and start small, but build on a solid foundation. So so just because you can create a spreadsheet that has every measurable variable in your sales process, uh, that doesn't mean that's the right thing to do. And just because you've got budget, don't don't launch a bunch of technology all at once. Build it incrementally. If everybody can understand the value of the steps you're taking along the way, uh, it's better to go slow, but go thorough. Uh, I see a lot of folks, and and it really comes through because a lot of these companies I've worked for, they're filled with really smart people. And they can take in a lot of information, they can create a lot of process, but it's, it's, it's what can you sustain and what can you bring everybody along with? If people don't believe it, uh, or they don't understand it, it's not a good foundation. So what I want to do in any operation I'm, I'm involved with is first take a look and jettison whatever's not really valuable 
uh, but also just be very deliberate. Show the plan and then show here's where we are on the plan and here's where we're going. So um, I think if you could if you could do that, then you've got a really good shot at creating something that's sustainable, but also very successful and adds value to the organization. I know that sounds like corporate speak, but but when it's done right, it really does add that value, as as your listeners can obviously tell. So what what's then key to a a solid foundation? But so uh, I mean, just see this is so easy, as you said. There's so many things you could do. I guess it's easily distracting. What what would you say is your core then foundation? Well, the core foundation is really um, is I think of really kind of three things. One is what people do we have, and where are they? Because um, sales operations role with a over quota, top performing sales rep is very different than sales operations role for a, an under quota, uh, maybe somebody who hasn't fully ramped up, uh, or, or somebody who's under quota that frankly should be ramped up. Uh, sales operations plays a different role from a people perspective in that regard, and so you know that that's the first piece of it. The the other piece would be the technology. Uh, to my earlier comment, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And so I'm a big fan of just saying, look, if this isn't really adding value, let's have a good, hard, honest conversation about it. Let's take that money back. Let's let that technology go away. And let's start over. Let's let's repurpose that money for something a little bit later on. Um, I, I think that the, one of the biggest technology mistakes that companies make in sales operations is they acquire it without fully utilizing it and then acquiring something else. Um, take Salesforce, the obvious one. There is a lot of functionality in that tool. Uh, there's a lot of functionality in things like HubSpot. And uh, you know, do people really take the time to let themselves get invested in fully utilizing it. And, and oftentimes I find the answer is really not, not, not all that much. So, um, so technology is the second thing. And then just process. Uh, I look at, at what are we asking our, our reps to do on a day in, day out basis? Uh, how much of their time is selling? How much of their time is keeping the mothership happy? And uh, uh, so that's, that's one. And then, and then the other thing I would ask around process is just, okay, what is it we can remove without causing any pain? Let's start with that bias. And so if if I'm not saying we don't want process, but have process that's meaningful. So I really say it's really those three pillars. Uh, if everything I'm doing is somewhere adding value in one of those three pillars, I'm 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 pretty happy. I think I'm on the right track at that point. So I just I just quickly on that because I've sat on the other side you know, onboarding customers and getting them using the software is what I, I started doing. And and there's also a desire when you when you get a new piece of technology to, to use everything straight away. Yeah. And and so that's the focus. It's okay, it all set up, all set up. And and then the reality is none of it gets really taken advantage of because you've just gone and thrown everything out there. Exactly. And actually it's quite hard to think, well actually we'll only use a, a fraction of what we paid for because then we can use that properly and build that foundation, as you said, and go on and take it from there. So true. It's so true. It, you could justify it, but then it's like you know, the, and the people who sell it to you, uh, they're they're incented to move on to the next sale, so they're not going to sit around and talk to you about it. The customer success managers that are typically with these companies, they're spread pretty thin. If you're not, if you don't have an internal advocate sponsor, if you will, somebody who's getting in front of the salespeople, maybe at at some standing meeting that they're at. 20 minutes. Hey guys, did you know about these features and function? Let me show you how to, how this works. Because as you know, 
supporting sales reps is really about selling them. Uh, if if you can get them to understand or at least believe that the thing you're talking about helps them, then they've got all the time in the world for that. But their bias, their default setting is, if this isn't, this isn't on my radar, I'm not going to spend any time on it, as it should be. So I like that tension to say, look, if it's, if it's sexy enough, they'll pay attention. And so can we, as sales operation professionals, put our language in place, put the, the, the value statements in place that say, look, of course, I'm going to listen to that guy. And not only that, today, because he brings value, sales operations, I'm going to listen to him from now on. That doesn't always work, but, but you get the idea. The idea is that if you're bringing value, it's kind of self-evident. They'll make time for you. Say, so I I really love the the analogy that we've had a few times on the show that the salespeople are the customers of sales operations, and that's exactly what you're reflecting there, Don. I think it's a very healthy mindset for the sales operations person. But now, Don, I would like to get a bit more specific. So we we understand that at a previous role, uh, you led to an approximately five hundred thousand dollar increase in revenue through tweaking or working with the lead handling and qualification process. Would you be happy to share more about uh, what you did there to lead to that uh, incremental yeah. revenue? That was something that uh, I definitely inherited and I, I, I brought uh, just a good, solid operational mindset to. So we were, we were having leads. It, it, we had the opposite problem. Uh, most times you walk into an organization, they say, we don't have enough leads. This particular situation was just the opposite of that. They had a lot of leads uh, and the leads were just kind of, it's kind of like eating steak every day. Uh, if you eat steak every day, it just don't really appreciate steak. So th- there was this, this steak problem with the leads. There was just a bunch of uh, small number of reps uh, getting a high number of leads. And so they were basically taking, you know, just biting into the steaks that they wanted. The other ones would just, just go languishing. And so it was really about uh, quantifying and really skidding down and really getting all the noise and starting to, to understand exactly how many leads were coming in, where they were going, who owns it, and what stage. So we, use, we put it right into our key performance indicators, um, you know, basically number of leads created and then number of leads transferred and then leads converted. Uh, and if if you start to get that kind of number down on a on a quick like on a weekly basis, then you can start to really look into okay of those leads that, that were converted, what then happened to them from a close one close loss perspective. So the the nutshell answer to this was clean out the garage, get some get some clarity on what the actual numbers are, and just get some discipline to it. Um, and, and at some point, you really have to drag sales management into the conversation to say, this is something that your, your people are going to have to change. And I, and I say it that way on purpose because I always tried to make sure sales ops was more of a partner to the account executives. Sort of, if, if dad's going to be the stern voice, I'm going to go to mom. I, I wanted to be mom in that case where it's just, let me be an ally to you. And it, it really came down to cleaning up the mess and getting some real clarity and a spotlight on what the heck is happening with these leads that we've created. All that work's gone into it, uh, but, but are we really getting our value out of it? And, and that really got the attention. And what that translates to is more opportunities and more close one. 
There's a couple of really, really good uh, quotes there. I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to call the, the whole episode the steak problem with sales operations. Um, and then I also love the analogy of cleaning out the garage. And it actually doesn't just apply to sales operations. It's like, it's like any part of a business where we have metrics to measure. That's the first thing you need to do before trying to influence the numbers is actually understand them. So that is very holistic advice. Thank you. Final uh, kind of mini case study. Um, in another previous role, you mentioned about improving or 70% improvement in inefficient communication. Can you explain how you managed to make that communication more efficient? Oh, absolutely. Very excited uh, because this was this was something where it's like I sat down and they said, we, we have this problem. So on day one, my new boss in a, in a former company said, here's my problem. And he talked about we don't know where things are. We don't know. We don't know how uh, where things are stored. Uh, we remember something about this case study. Uh, it was just a green field of opportunity in terms of just lack of communication. Everything was kind of a one-off. And so what I did was I, I took a step back. I, I took a minute to think about it, and uh, I, I created a few things. Number one. I just for free, I created a Google Drive uh, that was, you know, kind of a quasi file directory of customer related uh, communications, uh, sales presentations, uh, just just 10 folders in very obvious buckets. And the thing about Google Drives, you could just search, but there is a need to have kind of a a, a file structure to it. So people who don't know what they're searching for can go click on a folder and say, RFP samples. Oh, okay. Here's where that can find that. Uh, and, and sure enough, 90% of the time, they're going to they're gonna get what they need. So the first thing was a Google Drive, no cost, very low tech. It's, it's, it's something you could do today. Uh, that was the first thing. Second thing was I created two Slack channels. One Slack channel was just the commercial team. And so uh, I'm a big fan of Slack. And like, like you guys, once you first start using Slack, you just think, oh, geez, another thing to keep up on. But it really delivers on the promise. I'm not involved with Slack at all. I do like it. I, I like the tool. But it really does cut, uh, cut down on your email uh, activity. I know they talk about that. So creating a Slack channel that was dedicated to just the commercial team in general. And then another Slack channel that was dedicated to new customers. and and, and if you do that, then you've got a central town square. So if I see we just closed XYZ company and they're a competitor of somebody that I'm trying to sell, I'll go click on that link in Slack. I'll talk to the rep. Hey, what was the conversation like? Help me out. And so you're creating a lot of team play and you're making it effortless. No friction, easy peasy. It's just something you can do. Um, the other Slack channel was just the commercial. Hey, does anybody know how I could communicate this? So it's two centralized channels uh, that really helped out. And the one that is actually the lowest tech and kind of the least interesting, but it actually paid the biggest dividend. Uh, I did the Friday update email. Uh, I just, all week long, I just correct or collected uh, bullet points. If there was a meeting that was recorded, um, if there's uh, uh, an article that was shared, uh, Somebody maybe closed a big deal. Uh, somebody got their first deal. Uh, it, it was people, process, and technology items. And I just would put five to nine bullets in there. 
and every Friday it would come out. And so what started to happen was people would, instead of sending it directly to the sales team, uh, they would just send it to me and I would just publish it on the, the Friday update. And uh, so those three things are, are, are I, w- I would offer as just like, they were incredibly successful and kind of fun to do. And you could see the team coming to life just through those tools. It's not about who did it. It's about what you watch the traffic, you watch it happening. And uh, that, that's how I, I would respond to that. Slack, Google Drive, and the weekly email makes total sense. Final question, Don, is who in the world of sales operations would you most like to take for lunch? Uh, that's, that's an easy one for me. It's the guy who got me started. Uh, a, a friend of mine today, uh, he's still a mentor, but he's, um, uh, he's, he's a guy that maybe some of your listeners have heard of, but his name is Ted Dacko. Uh, Ted was the guy that saw sales operations in me uh, early, early on. And uh, I happened to work for him at the time. And uh, uh, I was in one role and he sat me down and he said, have you ever heard of this? And like a lot of people who haven't been involved in sales operations, they say, I said, what the heck is sales operations? It sounds like it's sales related, but I actually don't know. And uh, so he he painted me the picture, um, and and he was my mentor for a, for a long time, and he's still somebody I, I cherish a friendship with, and I still talk to regularly, even though you know, he's the CEO of Arbor Dakota, uh, a firm he started. He's still working, and uh, he teaches at University of Michigan, and he's an active guy. Uh, but I would. I, the reason I, I I tell you I'd love to have lunch with him is because he's one of those folks who just I just know more after talking with them for a mm. while. So so if you can get him alone with a nice uh, lunch in front of us talking, he always just seems to add a lot of value. Um, and he's he's a he's a rock star in my world as far as uh, as far as that goes. Hopefully hopefully that's the kind of answer you get. I don't mm. I don't know too many. Uh, folks that would be would pay me such a direct benefit as he would, but it's a cool question. Shout out to Ted. Um, Don, <laughs> I, I want to thank you so much for coming on, being so enthusiastic, sharing absolutely everything, giving us a couple of an- analogies that are going to be super useful. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Hey, Tom, thank you. And uh, and Alex, congrats on your first one. I, Tom didn't give you a whole lot of air time, but I think that's part of what ease into the situation. Indeed. Don't give them thank too much rope to hang themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.